2: Could you help me place this call? See the number on the matchbook is old and faded. living in LA with my
0: best old ex friend Ray. Guys, she
2: said she knew well and sometimes hated. And I apologize to people of a certain age who will now have that song stuck in their head for the rest of the day. But ain't that the way it seems to go? All right, so we're doing a show today about hotlines. Uh, Actually, our producer, Carolyn McCusker, uh, she floated this idea with us during her job interview. And when she did, I mean, she was talking about, as you will see today, all kinds of permutations of the idea of a hotline. But I was sort of thinking about the idea of a hotline, like what it is, why it's called a hotline. And it struck me anyway, as a child of the Cold War, that I, mean, I, was, I'm not actually, I wasn't actually created by the Cold War, but as a child who came of age during the Cold War, that a hotline might have originally been a phone sitting on a desk and you pick it up and it only goes to one place it's because there was this, you know, you'd see in movies a phone in the White House and the president picks it up and it connects directly to the Kremlin. Uh, and I, I assume anyway, that's where my kind of entrenched idea of a hotline comes from. But it turns out that there's actually a what is a hotline hotline that you can call. So Cat, let's call that right now.
1: Welcome to the What is a Hotline Hotline. The What is a Hotline Hotline is sponsored by Audacious with Kyone Wolf. Tired of shows where some old guy goes on and on about whatever? Try Audacious with Kyone Wolf, Saturday mornings at 10. Originally, a hotline was a direct point-to-point link between two phones. Although the most famous hotline connecting the White House to the Kremlin was never a big red phone like you see in the movies... It started in 1963 as teletype, then moved to fax machines, and is now a secure computer link. These days, people use the word hotline to refer to any phone service dedicated to a specific purpose. The preceding message was brought to you by Audacious with Kyone Wolf. That's Audacious with Kion Wolf.
2: All right. She said that too many times. I'm hanging up. All right. Uh, but that's interesting. And so here to shed more light on sort of what the nature and history uh, of the hotline which is essentially, I think, the, the history of the telephone to a certain degree, is Dr. Lee Humphreys, a professor of communication at Cornell University. Welcome to our conversation. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So um, is there some kind of working definition? There, there are a lot of things these days that call themselves hotlines. Is there in your universe a working definition that applies to the ones that are and the ones that aren't?
1: I think the one that we just heard from what is a hotline hotline um, is actually pretty accurate. I might expand perhaps a little um, this idea of any phone service dedicated to a particular service. And so often we think of voice as being essential to a hotline. But one of the things we've seen in the, um, with the rise of mobile phones is, of course, uh, texting hotlines. And so I think, um, you know, there's a sense of immediacy um, and immediate service or assistance that is associated with hotlines and helps to distinguish it from other kinds of services.
2: Now, the hotline probably owes its rise to the end of a period, the early period of telephone use, in which there were operators, operators with switchboards plugging jacks into holes, right? There was, uh, because in a way, uh, you know, for a long time, there was somebody that you could talk to right away. It was the operator who had another different job to do, but, but people routinely talked to that person for whatever reason, Right.
1: Yes, the operator for a very long time served an incredibly important role in the use and I would say widespread adoption of landline phones, certainly in the United States. Um, My colleague Josh Lauer at the University of New Hampshire says the operator was the internet before the internet. So you could pick up the phone and talk to an operator and find out the weather find out the time of day um, find out you know election results and so the operator was both um a person who could help you connect to other people but also someone who was a source of information themselves
2: yeah and there were sort of off-label uses for the operator right including i mean (laughs) like people could use them would try to use them even as baby monitors right gonna leave the phone there next to the baby
1: Yes, there are certainly examples of particularly um, well to do women using the operator as a remote babysitter of sorts, where it would where they would leave the phone off the hook and say, call my friend if the baby wakes up and then they would go over to their friend's house to have um, tea together.
2: Hopefully, T. Um, yes. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and this, this kind of, there was sort of that. And then the other thing that created a live interaction with a person that you didn't know was the answering service. And, and once again, I, like young people, <laughs> young. People, I was old enough. I remember when phone exchanges were like Adams 32498. Uh, and I remember answering services, which were, which is a human being who would pick up the calls uh, of somebody and you could talk to that person and try to persuade them maybe even to track down the person whose answering service they were. And all of this kind of led to a, a lot of pop culture stuff ranging from you know the musical and movie Bells Are Ringing, which is about an answering service and uh, a person who gets way too involved. <laughs> <laughs> the people calling the answering service, um, and of course Lily Tomlin's iconic uh, Ernestine, the, the telephone operator who would always say, "Am I, have I reached the person to whom I am speaking?" Um, but but now this is sort of, I think you know, a person in their twenties who got anything resembling a phone operator would be pretty weirded out by the idea the idea of interacting with a human being.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the most interesting trends that we see is um, certainly in in mobile phone studies is that people do not answer telephone calls from someone that they do not recognize the number from. Um, and they will only answer a call if they know who it is. And I mean, and even then, they'll often screen their calls. But that has been a significant change in mobile phone practice. Whereas, you know, historically, if the phone rang, you answered it, no matter if it was during dinner. I mean, some families might have particular rules about no phones at dinner. But generally, if a phone rang, people feel compelled to answer it, even if it's not their phone. Um, And that has been a huge shift with the um, with the migration to mobile phones.
2: So in the 1980s, party lines started to fade away. I mean, people started to have their own phone phone number and their own phone exchange. Uh, And uh, I, I would assume that's maybe kind of around the time that the idea of a hotline began to arise. You had your phone. Nobody else could use it. Maybe you would call somebody for something. Is it right around then that we start to see maybe more of a proliferation?
1: So, I mean, there's different kinds of lines. So, um it's important to to think about some of their, your listeners might remember 900 numbers mm. that people could call, which would also be, a, I think, a form of a hotline. Um, of course, customer service numbers, 1-800 numbers, I think would be considered a form of, of a hotline. Um, and then things like 411, Nine one one, I think, are also considered forms of of hotlines, and four one one. The rise of it really came with the idea of um, it's automating the operator, mm-hmm. um, and it was considered information, and then it was considered directory assistance. So it wasn't until the nineteen, the early nineteen nineties, that the U.S. government um, actually outlawed 900 numbers, particularly ones that were um, related to sexual content and yet a number of other services you could call and hear your favorite musical artist talk about what they were doing and and those really came to a stop in the early 90s um, when they became more regulated by the US government.
2: Psychics also were a a pretty big thing. Indeed. Um, And uh, probably that government intervention saved the storefront psychic, you know, because if you could just, you know, charge it to your credit card, why ever leave the house Uh, unless you know you're not going to have an accident because you talked to a psychic. So... We should talk a little bit about the idea of people who do call a hotline to talk to someone who's staffing the hotline. These might be crisis or suicide-related hotlines or uh, hotlines where you can get advice. And there's something, you know, and you mentioned text hotlines at at the top of the show, but there's a way in which the voice is really important, right? The kind of connection, you and I can't see each other right now, we're making a connection through voice. And to me, that seems intrinsic to this concept.
1: Absolutely. I think there is um, a sincere feeling of intimacy that comes from hearing one's voice and hearing someone else's voice respond to you in ways that text cannot quite get at. Um, I think another really interesting element of why, you know, for instance, we're not seeing as much a rise of video is because there's a sense of, when you don't have those additional visual cues, all you really have to rely on is the audio cues. And with that though, it can be kind of freeing because you're not worried about what you look like or what other people are perceiving about your looks. And therefore there's a kind of, again, intimacy that comes from that. The other really important, I think, difference between a phone a voice connection, a phone call, and texting has to do with this this concept that we, in the field of communication, call synchrony. And synchrony is a kind of communication that requires both parties to be active at the same time. Messages won't wait for one another. And of course, there've been you know changes in phone with answering machines and answering services. But generally, if you miss a call, you don't get to hear someone's voice. And while texting can provide a a near synchronous experience, it's not the same as sharing that moment with that person. Um, And that synchrony also significantly can add to a level of connection and trust and intimacy.
2: Yeah. I mean, I worked for 16 years in a more conventional kind of talk radio environment where phone calls to the show were a really big thing. You know, it was a live show, people calling in. And there's a way in which I think people are both vulnerable at that time. And people who are calling a crisis line or a suicide hotline or something like that, they're obviously in a very vulnerable state. Uh, But there's also a way in which they feel less vulnerable because they can isolate to the voice. It's what you're saying, too. There's a way in which you could be a total mess but at least you can talk to somebody and they don't necessarily see everything about that
1: right exactly and there also can be an anonymity that goes along with that right and i think that um idea of being anonymous um and and getting help um means that you won't then necessarily have to see that person the next day and explain how things are better or worse or or whatnot. And I think that is also really freeing and liberating for people to share, you know, sometimes in their most vulnerable and, and difficult times.
2: So um, just to kind of wrap up here, every conversation of any kind for some reason or other these days has to include <laughs> some anticipation of the role of AI. So, um, I mean, obviously, you know, we're starting to see some of the sort of conversational capacities uh, of AI, uh, ways in which it really can mimic this cadence and style. Uh, of human speech, ways in which it can read cues. I mean, an AI is essentially a predictive engine. It it looks at a lot of stuff and matches it up against other stuff and predicts what should happen next. But um, I'm wondering about sort of, you know, uh, the loss of the human element in some of the scenarios we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I I think I would be very hesitant to replace uh, hotline crisis workers with AI But I do think there could be a role for technology in helping to assist people who might be at risk, Um, people who have had previous hospitalizations, people who have sort of opted in for additional support or help to identify at-risk behaviors where it might trigger someone, a counselor, a family member, someone to reach out and check in with someone. Um, so I think that there, there could be an opportunity, but I think the human element and sense of connection is, you know, we're, we're, what is the, we're in a loneliness crisis in this country. And I think AI is not going to replace that. And I think human connection is what brings us meaning. And that's not going to go away.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, it could almost work for something like the Butterball Turkey Hotline or something like that, that you could talk, <laughs> talk to an a- AI about you know, the fact that your turkey's on fire probably about as easily as you could talk to a human being, except that the person who calls that thing is in the middle of making Thanksgiving dinner and it's not working out and their family's coming over. I'm not sure they want to talk to a machine even in that kind of a situation
1: i mean certainly if it's on fire we don't want them talking okay that was a bad example extreme example (laughs) i'm thinking of all of those you know backyard fried turkey fires that happen but i do think um i think there are there are certain kinds of information that can be accessed pretty quickly and easily that can that can help people and again we see this with things like um like google and other services that are trying to both Um, predict what kinds of information you want, as well as potentially what kinds of information you need. And so there's a certain element of that. But at the end of the day, again, I think um, there are real connections that come from talking to other people. And, you know, it's hard to know if someone's Thanksgiving dinner it, do they really need advice on on how to cook the part of the turkey that didn't <laughs> burn or do they need someone to say, you know what, holidays are really stressful and family can be really stressful and it's going to be OK and I will listen. Um, and so I, I think there are multiple needs that hotlines offer that I don't think um, Google searches and AI can necessarily provide.
2: Well, Dr. Lee Humphreys, it calmed me right down when you said those words, and I don't even have a turkey <laughs> fire active right now. Dr. Lee Humphreys is a professor of communications at Cornell University. We'll take a little break. We'll be back with more hotlines.
3: me quick about Hugo and Kim. Hi, Margie. Hi, Alex. What's the story? Not a glory. What's the word? Hummingbird. Have you heard about Hugo and Kim? Did, Did they, really they really get pinned? Get pinned? Did she kiss him and cry? Did he pin the pin on? Or was he too shy? Well, I heard they got Nintendo of America used to have a hotline you could call for help when you were stuck on a hard level. By some accounts, 800 enthusiasts applied to be game counselors when the hotline first opened, and only 33 got the job.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare.
1: Since its launch in 1981, the Butterball Turkey Talk Line has received more than three million calls from panicking home chefs trying to serve Thanksgiving. No, David, you can't cut your turkey with a chainsaw.
3: You used to
2: call me on my cell phone. That of course is the Drake song Hotline Bling. But who knows what Drake means when he says hotline? He's Canadian and weird. Uh, I don't know what a hotline means to him, but I do know that uh, we've gathered up some pretty interesting examples of people developing the hotline into something that it maybe had not been imagined before. And one of those examples comes from our next guest, Jessica Martin, uh, an artist who heads an art program for Westside Elementary in Healdsburg, California. She's also the co-creator of the Kids Advice Hotline, Pep Talk, and that's P-E-P-T-O-C. That could be important. Uh, so she joins us now. Uh, and uh, first of all, welcome to our conversation.
4: Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here.
2: <laughs> well, uh, we'll try to maintain that that, that state of enthusiasm uh, as much <laughs> as we possibly can. So you you took an idea to a group of kids between, I think, the ages of 5 and 12. Um, it, first of all, explain to us how you explained to them what you had in mind. Oh,
4: yes. Well, um, when I'm working with, with kids, uh, a lot of my work as an artist I'm really interested in um, you know, really thinking about a broader definition of art um, beyond drawing and painting and um, how can a conversation between two people be art? And so that's something I've talked about um, with the kids quite often. And over the years, they've gotten quite comfortable with this um, kind of broader definition. And um, so I went into the classroom uh, with my, my friend and fellow artist, Ashera Weiss, um we were going to do a poster project and based on all of this incredible advice um, that we've listened to the kids as they support each other um during the class and and as peers um and we said the world really needs to hear from you um and and we'd like to make some posters and and have you write some words down think about Someone, if you're having a bad day or someone else is having a bad day, um, what's something you could do or say to them um, to make them feel a little better?
2: Now, this arose at least partially from your own childhood, your own life. Uh, I also grew up in an era where you could call a number uh, and get the correct time. Uh, Apparently, the number you dialed was popcorn, wherever it was that you lived. Tell us about popcorn. (laughs)
4: um popcorn I loved popcorn you could call it um just to it would tell you what the time was um in Pacific Standard Time and um I thought that was the most exciting thing as a kid and I would call it all the time um I it it just was it was exciting to to be able to get what the time is other than looking at a watch or a clock
2: yeah, and this is before we had cell phones that were bouncing off of satellites and kind of knowing exactly. knowing geo time or something. Uh, particularly when the power went out or some clock needed to be reset, you called that cuz it was a, you knew it was right. It was the, the closest thing you could get to a mutually agreed upon time in those days. And it was sort of I remember being a kid and it was like an adult voice, you know. Uh, and it sort of thought, well, I'm talking to an adult about something that's very important to both of us. What time it is? Uh, yes. So, and then there was something about just being a kid and using the phone and all this stuff. So you start pep talk, um, and you're actually asking kids students to make these um, hotline recordings and, and maybe just, well I, maybe the best thing we can do, Kat, we're going to go to B1 here. Let's go to B1 uh, Let's kind of just hear a, a little bit uh, of how the kids process this mission and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about what happened after that. So let's go B1. Well,
1: when you're feeling mad you should take three deep breaths and think of things that make you happy. The thing that makes me happy is when and.
0: And I think of happy things will happen in the future, like going to a friend's house or a cousin's
3: house. Bye. If you're frustrated, just take five minutes off. If you're frustrated, you can always go to your bedroom, punch your pillow, or cry on it, and just go scream outside. If you're nervous, go get your wallet and spend it on ice cream and shoes.
2: <laughs> out of the mouths of babes. uh and so i don't know maybe just talk a little bit about the overarching concept here presumably mostly it's going to be grown-ups calling this pep talk line and 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 why why would it work to have kids say the things that you hear them saying here
4: oh there's there's so many layers to mm-hmm. that question um i i'm thinking a lot about um what you were talking about with Dr. Humphreys before about this idea of intimacy, about hearing a voice um, speaking directly to you. Um, that was a, a major motivation for me uh, to start this hotline. Um, so while the kids were making posters, I recorded their voices um, you know, saying what they said on their posters. And um, I get to hear kids every day because I work with them. Um, And I still, after all these years, think they're absolutely adorable and also incredibly powerful and wise. And I I think that not enough people get to hear that. And so this was a way to to share my experience and to share their voice.
2: And some of the things that the kids said were either profound or poetic. I mean, there was a kid who said, if you're feeling up high and unbalanced, think of groundhogs. I mean, that's like Emily Dickinson or something. It just... (laughs)
4: He is kind of an Emily Dickinson as a person. Um, he I I asked him about it later and he said, I don't know, it just came to me. It's just I it just right at the moment. That's just what I wanted to say. I just think that that kid's ability um also to just think right on the spot and improvise is is different um from an adult uh They just let their unconscious completely come out um, front and center, which is another great thing to witness.
2: Yeah, I think the the sort of the no filter aspect of this makes the advice feel a lot more heartfelt uh, and less calculated. So you started this thing up and I think your idea was, you know, 100 people will call or something. That's not how it went, right?
4: No, not not at all. Um, Yeah, so I... I said, I've always wanted to do a hotline as an artist, and this was just such a great opportunity. It felt like the right fit finally. And um, I I really just made this for our community. This was um, in the middle of COVID and uh, just at, right after um, lockdown and um, it just really felt like something for our own community. And we also hung the posters all over town. Uh, and then three days later, um, I coincidentally launched the hotline um, the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. And um, three days later, we were getting 60,000 calls an hour, and I had to switch um, the hotline provider so that I could have someone who had a larger capacity. Um, and it that continued on and continues on now, even after a little over a year now, um, we still get surges just a few weeks ago, we got 2.4 million calls in 48 hours.
2: Now, not to make everything about money, but initially this thing was pinned to your credit card. At some in some ways, in, in such a way that you accumulated <laughs> charges for the existence of this thing.
4: Exactly. Yeah, the backstory is pretty wild with this. I mean, it's it's the story of going viral, I suppose. Um, I within those three days, I looked at my. I just had put it on my credit card, uh, my personal credit card, just to you know, I thought it would maybe be a hundred dollars. And um, I looked at my credit card and I had $48,000 on my credit card. And um, I had to do some quick thinking and find friends of friends and friends um, who knew someone who was wealthy enough to be able to to sponsor us. So fortunately, I was able to find that for a few months.
2: Now, the other person who was uh, possibly inconvenienced all of this, I believe, was named Tim in South Carolina. Tell us about him.
4: Poor Tim. Tim called me. So pretty much the day that I saw that my credit card had forty-eight thousand dollars on it, um, I also got a message saying from a guy named Tim um, in North Carolina saying he was getting two thousand calls a day, and it was from people misdialing our number. Um, So I had to quickly also uh, switch our number to a different number um, and let everybody else know that. And uh, he's he still gets surges of calls, and I hear from him every once in a while, but um, I'd like to make the, the a public acknowledgement um, to wonderful Tim for being so understanding.
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I mean, some of the feedback you've got here is pretty amazing. I mean, first responders, nurses working in elder care, there are people who have told you that this these messages somehow or other saved their lives.
4: Yes, um, we we do know that. Um, for a fact, uh, we've we've gotten letters saying that it saved their life that day. Um, that was certainly not something that I was thinking of when I first launched this. and um, it really makes me um, feel that it's this really tremendous responsibility to keep this thing going as long as we can, even though it still is pretty expensive.
2: Yeah, I mean you are you are kind of facing a Rubicon here, right? And just in terms of, I mean the the volume is still pretty high, fifteen thousand calls a day, something like that. And I guess it spikes at times of discernible reasons for anxiety, uh, and and maybe slumps a little bit when people are feeling uh, less in need of consolation or or whatever it is that they're getting from there. But it's it's still costing money. Um. Yeah, and and my understanding also is that some people call up. I mean, they they know what messages are preloaded there. Um, I mean, all of these the, all of these things. You, you might quickly mention what the categories are. Categories, the thing that you can ask for. What categories do they fall into? Sure.
4: Um. Yeah. I I took all of the kids' messages and then I um sorted them into categories. So you press one if you're frustrated, and you press two for general life advice. Um, three is just a pep talk from the entire kindergarten class. Um, and then four is the children, these, the kindergartners just laughing. Um, and, uh, which was a hilarious story also, because I tried to get them to laugh, and I was telling them a story that I thought would be funny, and then it turned dark really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and the the kindergarten teacher saved me and was able to get them to laugh and let me record them. Um, And then the fifth one, we did a pep talks in Spanish. And, um, and then there's another one that says, you know, kids are telling you how awesome you look. And then we have a bonus advice section.
2: (laughs) So, and apparently people, people know what's there now. I mean, there's been so many tens of thousands of calls to this line and, and they, they know what they want, right? People say it's like a number three day.
4: Yes, absolutely. People say this is Absolutely. A number three day or a number four day. I got to hear those kids laughing. This is what's happening. Or people will tell other people, you need to press number one. You're too frustrated. You better go call that and press number one.
2: All right. When we see that, by the way, we're wrapping up here. And I'm also being uh, informed by Carolyn McCusker that I'm I'm way lowballing this. It's 11 million calls. Um, But if people want to run up the bill even more, uh, call for yourself. It's 707 873 7862. That's 707 8 PEP Talk. P-E-P-T-O-C. I think that was more confusing. We'll post it up on our website. Um, And there's also an option to donate uh, if you want to see this very interesting service uh, keep going. Um, It has been, this is a fascinating thing. I I would not have guessed that it would do what it has done, but uh, you've been a wonderful reporter on it. Jessica Martin is an artist who heads the art program for Westside Elementary in Healdsburg, California, also the co-creator of the Kids Advice Hotline Pep Talk, P-E-P-T-O-C. Thanks for being with us today.
4: Thank you very much for having
2: me. All right. We're going to hear about another kind of hotline right after this. Colin Oates fan?
4: Try Colin Oates. That's right. It's a hotline that will play a Colin Oates song to you over your phone. This line has been putting a Sarah smile on caller's faces for over a decade. Call 719-266-2837 to try it out.
1: You can follow The Colin McEnroe Show on Facebook or Twitter at Colin McShow. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to or following our podcast on any podcast app. It's free! You don't have to wait an hour after eating before you go swimming. That's just something our mothers believed. Back to the show. In
4: 1955, a misprinted Colorado Springs newspaper accidentally told scores of children to call a top-secret military hotline asking for Santa. The mix-up led to the creation of the now-famous Santa Tracker that's run to this day by the North American Aerospace Defense Command,
3: NORAD.
2: And we are back. Time to thank our technical producer, Kat Pastor, who's pushing all these buttons right now and making all these phone calls happen. Uh, And we also want to thank producer Carolyn McCusker. We get some extra help from Frankie Graziano, Sabrina Herrera, Jonathan McNichol, and Kion Wolf. You've heard some of their voices already on some of these uh, hotlines. Uh, And, of course, Lily Tyson is the senior producer and is, um, you know, Walking around being a senior producer and doing things that senior producers do. Don't ask her any questions. All right. She won't answer them anyway. All right. It's time to uh, talk about one more really kind of innovative idea that kind of flips the hotline concept in a whole different direction, um, and, and we're going to uh, talk about that now. So you heard Jessica Martin, uh, You know, she recorded kids. You call the hotline, you hear these kids recorded. but. What if you didn't really actually have to pick up the phone and call? What if something else was happening? <laughs> this is a hard thing to explain, but uh, the here to explain it is Danielle Baskin, an artist in San Francisco who co-created Dial-Up, a voice chat app that connects you to strangers. Uh, this is a, a, has a very simple concept. Every day you receive a phone call from a stranger somewhere on Earth. There's no video or pictures or anything like that, just a voice, somebody else who signed up for the app. So first of all, Danielle Baskin, welcome welcome to our show.
0: Hello, it's wonderful to be here. So
2: where did this idea come from?
0: You know, dial-up started as just a way for me to stay in touch with friends. Um, You know, it's kind of terrifying to call a friend. You think you might be interrupting them. You think they might perceive it as an emergency so, me and a few friends, you know, created this system that just called us and connected us. Um, so we wouldn't have, uh, you know, any reason to call a friend. and catching up with people is really wonderful. Um, but we decided to expand our friend group and invite friends of friends. And we noticed that strangers connecting with each other actually uh, produced these wonderful calls.
2: So what happens is you sign up for the app, uh, you get a call every day, but, but you also sign up for a category, right? Yeah. Quarantine, chat, poetry, local politics, relationship advice, full moon. You get you, you, <laughs> Full moon means you, you only get a call at the night of a one. full moon. Yeah. So, so are those like really crazy calls or is that just an unfair uh, characterization of full moons?
0: <laughs> Actually, full moon is one of the most popular ones. So it calls um, every time there's a full moon and it tells you to... Uh, go look at the moon, um, like find a window, go outside, and you're connected to another person, um, usually in your time zone. Though the other topics, um, there's there's probably like 30 different topics. Wow. Uh, and we try to connect people in different locations too.
2: So, yeah, I mean, we're going to hear a little bit about that in just a second from, uh, from one of your app users who lives in Indonesia. Uh, I recorded that conversation a little while ago. But it seems to me, you know, since one of the other guests talked about loneliness. And I think you know this is very much a response to loneliness, but also maybe a response to shyness too, right? I mean there are people in our lives that We know we should call uh, or we want to call. You know, when you want to stay in touch. I want to stay in touch with my friend David from high school. But when am I going to call him and is it going to seem kind of stupid? And in the the era of text, too, there's this idea that you text rather than call. That way the person has the opportunity to decide how much of an inconvenience you are uh, or something along (laughs) those lines. (laughs) But but this sort of solves the whole problem, right? I didn't initiate the call. You didn't initiate the call. The app decided we were going to talk to each other.
0: Absolutely. So it sort of imitates running into each other. And and those sorts of moments are delightful when you um, either, you know, you run into a friend on the sidewalk, or you're, you know, like, uh, waiting in a line and talk to a stranger. So it sort of recreates that effect.
2: Right, and, and and I think also there's there's the sense uh, not only of shyness, but I think there's the other thing, and maybe this was the thing that impelled you to do it first with your own friends. Like if you don't work hard to maintain a relationship, if you don't think you know what I'm going to call Bill right now, um, well, no, I'm not going to call Bill because I'm busy right now, <laughs> uh, and maybe he's busy too. I mean, there's that it is an indifference exactly, yeah. but it, it's something like just something that slips through our fingers, and we don't do it.
0: Yeah, I think we're, we're afraid of interrupting people. We're afraid of our own standing. Like, am I that close to the, enough to this person to call them? Um, and I think there's also some anxiety of like, oh, what should I even talk about?
2: Exactly. All right. Well, let's hear. I, I think you'll enjoy this, too. Uh, let's hear a little bit from Michelle Rorong, an architect in Indonesia who used dial-up to talk to people during the quarantine. Uh, this is C1Cat. So let's begin by setting the scene. You were living with your parents uh, during the, uh, the during the lockdown, the pandemic lockdown. So that meant you had people to talk to, but it didn't really give you a chance to meet people that you didn't know.
3: Yes, it's true. So so explain what happened with Dial Up. So uh, I particularly just want to talk to other people in the world about this quarantine. So I sign up and I choose the quarantine segment they have a lot of segment for a call
2: and i wait for a call i want you to tell us about some of the people who called i think you had your longest conversation with a woman named joyce Uh, tell us about joyce
3: yes she is she lived in philippines we we kind of have a long talk with her she's a funny one you know as i'm an introvert she's like always ending the topic with something funny you know Mm. we talk a lot of about uh, what we're going to do in this pandemic, you know. She's She, uh, she lives by herself, so she have no one to talk, but she like to chat with her friends too. So we talk a lot about uh, movie, a lot about travel experience, and more. There's some people that have a deeper connection, you know. We talk a little bit more, longer time, which is actually, I never really have a talk that long, like two hours called. I just do it like with my best friend maybe for strangers. It's it's kinda of, like
2: a rare thing to do. You're an introvert. And I'm wondering what it's like to sign up and just knowing that any moment the phone could ring and a stranger will be calling you and somehow you're going to have to have a conversation. Did it make you nervous?
3: It it did make me nervous. Uh it's uh it's kinda of hard for me too. But I kinda need that kind of thing. I need to do something uh out of my comfort zone during the quarantine so uh it kept me going to the life at that certain time you know it's it is kind of hard but uh over the time i kind of get to get used to it because
2: the conversation just flow you had what somewhere between eight and ten conversations uh, on this dial-up app right
3: yes it's it's true yeah
2: and did you find, did you sort of get better at making? I don't know, we call it small talk here. And it's not just small talk that you were making. You were talking about real things, real experiences that you and the other person had had. Did you decide that maybe you were a little bit better at conversation than you might have thought?
3: Yeah. Uh, over the time, maybe in the first phone call or two, it's kind of hard asking a question, small talk. What, what should I ask? And, but, when i get to it i'm getting used to like oh well we have to start this conversation with this and this and it will go flowing to this and this it's it, it's helped me a lot
2: right you're not uh, you're not having to be locked down now i assume you can w- move about the world pretty freely do you feel like you're a little bit different from the dial up experience
3: yes it it makes me feel like uh i don't really have to be scared to strangers it's like okay it's it's fine to talk to them and you know going trip with strangers it's fine doesn't have to be like scary or anything it could be just more fun and actually it's fine to do like a lot of people do it
2: so i i want to hear from you danielle what you're thinking about what you just heard from michelle
0: that's so cool that um, that this experience of Michelle talking to, you know, eight eight to ten different people um, made made them, you know, less less afraid to talk to strangers. I mean, that's a desired effect. I think um, people have a lot of anxiety about, you know, what should I say? What should I ask? But actually, when you're paired with another person, you both, you know, have this curiosity. Um, and it kind of does flow naturally like, the scariest part is deciding to pick up the call
2: um, right right i would i think a, a lot of people would would, would hesitate uh, maybe but um it also does seem as though you invented a life preserver during a flood right i mean this oh, thing this yeah. thing was made for the pandemic
0: it was made before the pandemic actually uh, but i mean okay. it, yeah no yeah, it really yeah. it really took off i mean yeah i think a lot of people during the pandemic uh, especially those who lived alone like wasn't they weren't talking to anyone and going on the internet isn't a substitute for conversation um so yeah people would spend a lot of time with each other on the phone and, and you could get up to around like three different calls a day but some people used it every day and met hundreds of people um, and people would stay on the phone for a long time I think the longest phone call we we, we had was 11 hours <laughs>
2: They spent their day together. And people fell in love too. There's sort of a, I I read the Modern Love piece, I mean, there is sort of a Cyrano de Bergerac quality to this, you know, or or, or the pen pal or something like that. That idea that you meet somebody first through their words, through their voice, uh, you're not, you you might interact with them for many, many, many hours before you know what they look like. Uh, and, And in a way that maybe defeats certain expectations and sets up other better ones.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think what's kind of cool about dial-up is you know nothing about them. You know, you're not going to um, uh, look at their uh, social media profile and have an idea of a kind of person they are or their lifestyle. It's sort of whatever they choose to reveal to you. Um, And that actually like uh, helps. Well, it removes judgment. And then also you really like get to know you really get to know them.
2: Yeah, I mean the the modern love piece. Uh, I think the woman's talking about the fact that she's picturing because the guy lives in Amsterdam and bakes bread or something. This kind of blonde, you know, sort of I don't know, uh, sort of wet world Viking kind of guy, uh, and and turns turns out he's was kind of chubby, but he really knew how to talk about bread uh, in a totally. way that was that was really great. And and it it really suggests once again the idea that these telephonic things, they restore. I think a missing. Level uh, of intimacy. I, first of all, we should yeah. say you you used this thing that you invented during the pandemic. I mean, what was your overall experience having the phone ring and uh, having it be a stranger?
0: Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I got um, you know I got to learn what was happening in the world from direct sources of you know people living in different cities. Um, just like outside of the news cycle, I just got these amazing stories. But also, I really felt like I could talk about whatever was on my mind, right? Like I wasn't, you know, trying to be a specific persona. Um, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like networking, it was just kind of like talking about feelings. And in in that way, it felt, you know, extremely therapeutic. And I met so many interesting people. There's, um, you know, everyone has, I think every, every human has like, stories and an incredible life if you ask the right questions. And sometimes those stories haven't uh, appeared anywhere else. Maybe they're not, you know, a a podcast guest, or maybe they don't have a blog, or maybe they don't write about all their stuff. But they just have fascinating and inspiring stories, so I just loved meeting new people.
2: Yeah, I think also we've been working for I don't know, it seems like eight years now on an episode about this thing called Dunbar's number, which is the this idea that we have the as humans the cognitive capacity to maintain about a one hundred and fifty meaningful relationships. But this is sort of like, well, what if you wanted to add a one hundred and fifty first person? <laughs> you know, where would you get yeah. that person, and 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 how would your existing life support it? But this is, you know, it's sort of short term enough so that you know you, you, you can do it you can do it for an hour and then move on um it's fascinating daniel baskin we're gonna to have to okay. go but we love your concept uh it's called dial up it's still going right what do people yes. have to do to do dial up
0: uh if you go to dialup.com that's just one word d-i-a-l-u-p dot com uh you can get the links to download the app it's on ios and android it is free it's still going there's thousands of people who are still using it um and we'll run it, I, I don't know for how long, but it's still up now.
2: All right. And you can go to our website if you want to see the portrait that Michelle uh, of Dial-Up made of Joyce, uh, the person that she was talking to. That's at uh, ctpublic.org slash Colin. Thanks to everybody who listened today. And obviously we have to go out with some Hall & Notes.
0: Welcome to and Notes. your emergency Hall & notes helpline. To hear one-on-one, please press one.